Today I'm going to be talking to you about spiritual relationships, having spiritual relationships. I have a lot of scriptures for you. In fact, in my, my sermon now, I'm going to have uh, 41 scripture references, 41. So we better get going, right? We don't want to be here all day, you know, just most of the day. But don't worry, I'm going to keep this moving along here. But let's begin uh, by reading together about spiritual relationships in Acts chapter 2. Now, Acts chapter 2 is the beginning of the church. If you read the whole chapter, you'll see that through the Holy Spirit, Peter got up and preached a powerful sermon, convicted everybody of their sin, and 3,000 people were baptized into Christ, much like uh, Sarah's going to be done. It's going to happen to Sarah in a few minutes. 3,000 people were added to their number that day. The church grew by 2,500% in one day. It was 120, and then it became, it became 3,120 after that. It was, it's amazing what God, well, yeah, you, okay, anyway, but that's what, if you look at, anyway, I'm, okay, forget the math. Never mind. <laughs> what I'm saying is, that's the, that was the beginning of the church. But what I want to focus on is, uh, a beginning in verse 42. There's a little glimpse as to what the early church looked like. And let's read this. Right after they got baptized, verse 42, it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods. They gave to anyone as he as he had need every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts praising god and enjoying the favor of the people and the lord added to their number daily those who were being saved so this is right after the church began all three thousand of the new brothers and sisters are together and this is what their fellowship look like isn't that's inspiring right i mean this is like a snapshot this is our goal our goal is to be like them we don't live in the first century so you don't have to wear sandals or travel around on a horse all right or a or a, a, a goat or something you know unless you want to of course it's brooklyn we see everything here but but what we're trying to imitate is the heart you see there the relationships that they had This is what we are striving for as a church. But imagine if it wasn't like that. Imagine if it was different. Imagine if you opened up Acts chapter 2 and you read this. They devoted themselves to portions of the apostles' teaching and to the occasional fellowship, to some fast food and even faster prayers. Everyone was filled with a sense of obligation And a list of spiritual chores were accomplished by just a few of them. All the believers were together except those who considered midweek to be optional. And they had superficial things in common. Storing up their possessions and good, they gave to anyone as little as possible. Every day they they continued to meet together uh, unless they were busy. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with guilty and burdened hearts, praising God and enjoying the fact that they were not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, especially those tax collectors. And the Lord added to their number uh, occasionally those who sort of wandered by. Right. Can you imagine? Would you which which group would you rather be a part of? Right. Which which part? Obviously, that was, by the way, the revised Phil version. Okay. (laughs) Obviously, the first description is what we're looking for. You know, Christianity is all about relationships. It's all about relationships. First, it's a relationship with God. 
And then it's about relationships with people. That's what Christianity is all about. Listen to these scriptures. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 and 16. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. So Paul says he mentions their faith in Jesus, so it's a relationship with God, and your love for the saints, which is a relationship with people. Colossians 1, verses 3 and 4. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you because we have heard of your faith in Jesus Christ and of the love you have for all the saints. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3. We ought always to thank God for you, brothers, and rightly so, because of your, your faith is growing more and more, and the love everyone has for each other is increasing. Again, you see faith in God, love for each other. Philemon 4 and 5, it says, I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. You getting the point? Christianity is about relationships. First, a relationship with God, and then a relationship with people. 1 John three twenty three, and this is his command. To believe in the name of the Son, Jesus Christ, again, relationship with God, and to love one another as he commanded us. Again, relationship with each other. Jesus himself, Matthew 22, 37 through 40, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, relationship with God. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. Christianity is about relationships. First, a relationship with God, and then a relationship with people. It's not about tasks. It's not about rules. It's not about regulations. Although there are tasks, and there are rules, and there are regulations, but Christianity is about relationships. It's about connecting with God, and connecting with people. So today, I want to focus specifically on having spiritual relationships. You know, when we have crises in our, in our, in our life or problems in our life, it exposes the depth or lack of depth of friendships that we have. You know, when we, we see our need for friends when we're going through difficult things in our life. Take Jesus, for example. In Matthew chapter 26, Jesus, the night before he's going to be crucified on a cross, what does he want to do? He wants to spend time with his friends. What if you got bad news all of a sudden? What if you got sick? What if somebody close to you passed away? What if you had good news? What if you were getting married? What if you found out that you were going to have a baby? What if you got a huge promotion at work? Who are your close friends? Who would you turn to? See, Christianity is about a relationship with God, but it's about having relationships with people too. But you see, as followers of Jesus, we're not just looking just for close friends. We're looking for spiritual friends. There's a difference. Two people can be close and be incredibly unspiritual. So we don't just want close friendships. We want spiritual friendships. We say, okay, 
What does that look like? Well, great question. The Bible teaches us what spiritual friendships look like. And make no mistake, all right? It's not easy. Spiritual friendships don't happen by accident. They happen on purpose. You've got to do it on purpose. Spiritual friendships require conscious effort. I looked up in the concordance, one another, the term one another, to, to try to find out what the Bible says our one another relationships would be like. You ready? You want me to read you some? I'm going to read you some, all right? You ready? And I want, I want to just warn you, all right? Just don't be tempted to look around the room and go, yeah, that applies to her. And that one, that he, I'm glad he heard that. No, no. If that's where you're at, pause. Pause the tape. Pray. Get your heart right and realize I'm not talking to her or him. I'm talking to you. I'm talking to me, all right? We are the ones who need to put these. We need to be this before we start pointing our fingers at other people to be this way. We got to be like, I got to warn you, all right? These are strong things, but these are right out of the Bible. This is what spiritual relationships look like, all right? John 13, 34 and 35. A new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples. If you love one another. Romans 12, 10. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Again, don't, don't look around. Just look at yourself right now. Listen to the word of God. Romans 12, verse 16. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Romans 15, verse 7. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you. So what level do we need to accept one another? The same level you were accepted by Christ. In order, it says, to bring praise to God. Romans 15, verse 14. I myself am convinced, my brothers, that you, you yourselves are full of goodness, complete in knowledge, and competent to do what? Instruct one another. Again, that's a spiritual relationship. Instructing one another. Romans 16. Here's a tough one. Romans 16, 16. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All right, bro. Just, you know, hold, you know, all right. Just, you know, that's what it's saying. All right. In fact, that shows up four times in the Bible. All right. Yeah, that one makes me a little uncomfortable when brothers start coming up to me. But that's what it says. It says greet one another. All right. That's the focus of it, you know, but it does say the holy kiss. First Corinthians one. Verse 10, I appeal to you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another so that there may be no divisions among you and that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. Again, we're not looking just for close friendships. We're looking for spiritual friendships. This is what they look like. Galatians 5, 13, you, my brothers, were called to be free but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. Ephesians 4, 
1 through two, one, and, 1 and 2. It says, be completely humble. How humble? Partially? No. Completely humble and gentle. Be patient. Bearing with one another in love. Ephesians 4, 32. Be kind and compassionate to one another. What kind? Compassionate to one another. Forgiving each other. We talked about that last week. Just as in Christ, God forgave you. This is a spiritual relationship. Ephesians 5, 21. Submit to one another. What? Yes. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Colossians 3, 13 through 14. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Did you catch that? Bear with each other. Forgive whatever grievances. Well, what about that one? Yeah, that one too. Well, what about that grievance? Yes, that grievance too. So that you may so forgive as the Lord forgave you. But they're not sorry, Phil. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Go back and listen to last Sunday's sermon. Colossians 3, verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. And as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. You guys all right? You hanging in there? You a little overwhelmed? Good, because I got more. First Thessalonians 5, verse 11. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just in fact as you are doing. Hebrews 3, 13. But encourage again one another daily. How often? Daily. As long as it is called today. So that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Hebrews 10, 24. Let us consider how we may spur one another. You know what spurring is? Spurring is inspiring people, challenging people. You know what a spur is, right? You use it to, to move a horse. That's what it's saying we need to do. Spur one another on towards love and good deeds. James 4, verse 11. Brothers, do not slander one another. Oh, there you go. Do not slander one another. 1 Peter 1, 22. Love one another deeply from the heart. 1 Peter 3, 8. Finally, all of you live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic. Love as brothers. Be compassionate and humble. 1 Peter 4, 9. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling, it says. Don't be like, all right, uh, you can come over. No, without grumbling. 1 Peter 5, 5. All of you clothe yourself with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. First John 3:11 This is the message you have heard from the beginning. We should love one another. First John 4:7 Dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God. First John 4:11 and 12 Dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought to love one another no one has ever seen god but if we love one another god lives in us and his love is made complete in us second john 5 and now dear lady i am not writing you a new command but one you have heard from the beginning i ask you that we love one another i'm exhausted how are you you all right that's 
is what spiritual relationships are like. Surely there was something in there. Amen. You can clap the word of God. You can clap. Come on. Surely there was something in there that you and I see that we go, wow, I got to work on that one. The Bible teaches what spiritual relationships look like, whether it's parenting, whether it's marriages, whether it's your friends, your family. Make no mistake of it. This is not easy. It is not accidental. It requires a conscious effort. So we're not asking you today, who are your close friends? We're asking you today, who are your spiritual friends? Who are the spiritual friends that you have that are defined what we just read in the Bible? You know, one of the key ingredients in relationships is trust, isn't it? I mean, once you take trust out, you no longer can have a spiritual relationship. And Satan knows this. He knows this to be true, right? Think about Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve in Genesis 3, verse 1. Remember God put Adam and Eve in the garden and said, you could eat all the fruit except for this right here. Don't touch these trees over here. In Genesis 3, verse 1, Satan comes to Eve and says, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? What is Satan doing there? Satan is eroding trust. Did God really? Is that really? Are you sure? Are you sure? Satan was trying to destroy trust in a relationship. Satan uses doubt. Satan uses suspicion. Satan uses skepticism. Satan uses hurts. Satan uses bitterness. He will use anything he can to destroy trust. Because if trust goes away, there is no more spiritual relationships. That's the truth. Go back to the early brothers and sisters that we just read about in Acts chapter 2. The the level of trust is incredibly high in that story. They are full of trust. One of the most essential ingredients in our spiritual relationships is trust. A lack of trust is scary. Because a lack of trust can spread. That's what's scary about it. Bitterness can easily spread. Hebrews 12, 15. It says, see to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. That's what bitterness does. It's like a root underground that grows up and eventually defiles other people. That's what's scary about a lack of trust. That's what's scary about bitterness. You know, you and I, we don't want to be people that defile people. We don't want our lack of trust to hurt other people. Jesus warned in Mark chapter 9 that if we cause one of the little ones to stumble, if we're responsible for somebody else stumbling, do you remember what he said? What what he said should happen to you? You should have a rock tied around your neck and you should be violently drowned. That's Jesus. That's what he said about people who cause people to stumble. That's what's so dangerous about it. We don't want to be those people. So what do we do? If someone's struggling, do we not help them? No, of course we help them. But you got to be careful. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin... You who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourself, 
or you also may be tempted. we got to be careful. That's how dangerous a lack of trust, a lack of spirituality is, is you can get sucked into it and you can get defiled and be tempted by it. A lack of trust can spread. That's what's scary. Sometimes through gossip, sometimes through through slander. The truth is, we have all experienced a lack of trust in our life at some point. We've all had broken trust. We've all been violated somehow. We've all been hurt by somebody. We all have that. So we all have an opportunity to not trust. But the question is then, how do we repair it? How do you build trust? How do you fix trust when it's been broken? Well, the good news, it's not complicated. It's not easy, but it's not complicated. Let me, I'm going to close out with these two things today about rebuilding trust. Rebuilding trust. The first thing you got to do to rebuild trust is you got to go to your father. You got to go to your father. Look at 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 21. And I'll show you what I mean by that. 1 Peter chapter 2. Beginning in verse 21, this is Peter writing about Jesus. It says, to this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Who did Jesus trust himself to? God. You want to rebuild trust after you've been hurt? The first step is go to the Father. Listen, when we've been wronged, I don't know about you, but one of my first thoughts is I want to teach them a lesson. You know, I want to help that person understand how wrong they were to me. One time, um, I, I was driving down the road with my wife, and a guy cut me off, right? And, you know, those of you who are drivers, you know what that's like. Someone pulls in front of you, and there wasn't a lot of space, and this person just pulled right in front of me. I mean, just right in front of me. And so I decided to not move. You know, we're driving down the road. Usually you sort of back off and give them some space. I said, I'm not going to do that. I just kept right there on his bumper. I didn't, I didn't hit his car, right? But we're driving down the highway, and I'm right on his bumper for a while. And my wife is in the car. She's like, what are you doing? I said, I'm trying to teach him. This man, this person clearly needs to understand the consequences of the decision that they just made. There was no space. They took it. So that's how we're going to drive. That's how we're going to roll down the road. And she's like, will you stop it? I am in the car with you. Come on. But sometimes that's what happens. We get hurt and we got to teach somebody a lesson. Listen, if anybody needed a lesson, it was the people who killed Jesus. And if anybody had the right to teach a lesson, it was Jesus. But as Jesus went through the hardest thing he'd ever been through in his life, the Bible says... That when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he did not make threats. Instead, he did what? He went 
to the Father. He entrusted himself to God. He says, God, you're going to have to work this out. God, you're going to have to take care of this. God, I need your help. So you want to rebuild trust in a broken relationship, even if you're like Jesus and completely in the right. First step, go to the Father. Go to the Father. Wrestle with the Father. Say, God, you let this happen. You're in control. Clearly, you have a plan. Please help me to be like Jesus. I'm not saying this is easy. I am not. I'm just saying it's not complicated. It makes sense, right? But it's not not easy. How do we rebuild trust? First thing we do is we go to the Father. The other thing you do is you go to your friend. First you go to the Father, and then you go to your friend. Let me read to you Matthew chapter 18. This gives a great step-by-step process of dealing with issues that we have when they arise between us. This is what, this, this process, if you follow it correctly, can rebuild trust. This is Matthew chapter 18, beginning in verse 15. Jesus said, If your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault. Just between the two of you, if he listens to you, you have won your brother over. But if you will not listen, take one or two others along, so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, treat him as you would a pagan or a tax collector. So Jesus gives a sort of step-by-step process of how we can deal with each other. Listen, the implication here is that we're going to have problems with each other, right? That's the implication. If you got baptized thinking you're now a Christian and you're never going to have problems with people in the church ever again, you may, you're wrong, all right? (laughs) I almost said you may have to get baptized again, but that's, no, 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 you don't have to get baptized again. No, but you got to stop and go, wait a minute. No, why? The church is amazing. It's just the people inside of it that aren't, right? God is awesome, but it's it's us. We're the, we're the problems. We fall short. Listen, we live in the borough of collisions, all right? That's what happens in Brooklyn, right? One of the most difficult things, I just on a personal level, about moving to Brooklyn a couple months ago, one of the hardest things for me personally is just the lack of space. I mean, you know, I, you know, I'm just getting used to a small apartment, a small space. It's just, it's just hard, right? I mean, and I hate, I'm embarrassed to say that because that's like saying, yeah, I just moved to the Caribbean and the hard thing about it is so hot. Of course it is, right? I moved to New York City. There's no space here, obviously, right? But it is taking some getting used to. I get out of bed and I, I bump stuff in my apartment all the time. I run into plants, run into dogs, run into people. You know, I mean, it's just like, it's just, it's just hard. I mean, you just, there's just these accidental collisions. Sometimes collisions aren't on, on accident. Sometimes they're on purpose, right? I mean, I, I parked at, uh, I parked at midweek a couple of weeks ago. I pulled in in parallel park and there was a space in front of me. I got out of the car and I was on my phone just standing next to my car and a woman came up and parked in the spot in front of me. But she, she bumped into the car in front of her and then bumped into my car. And I understand that happens. But then she bumped into the car in front again and then she bumped into my, I don't know what she was doing if she was trying to make more space. I think she was trying to, I don't know. And I'm like, come on, I'm standing right here. At least let me leave. 
don't hit my car. You saw me just get out. But she's just bam, bam, bam. She's going back and forth, just hitting the cars. It wasn't any of, it wasn't anybody from church, all right? This was, I don't know who this was. But I'm just saying, whether it's on accident or on purpose, we live in the land of collisions. We're going to collide. you got two and a half million people in about 70 square miles. We're going to have collisions, not always physically, but spiritually. The same is going to happen in the church. We're going to have collisions. We're all different. Look around you. We're not the same people. We don't think the same way. We're working to be united. We're working to be together, but we will have collisions. And so Jesus gives us a step-by-step process. The beauty is this. Conflict does not have to equal separation. For many of us, we've had relationships where we had conflict and the relationship is over. It's done. But it doesn't have to be that way in the church. You can have, you can survive conflict in the church. You can have disagreements and then you can grow through it. It doesn't mean that you have to be separate. Just like silence doesn't mean you're united, right? Just because someone says nothing doesn't mean they agree with you. They're just not saying anything. All right, so I'm just saying that conflict doesn't equal separation. But Jesus gives some very specific practicals here for building friendship, for, for building trust, for dealing with conflict. And let me look, I know there's like three or four steps here, but let me look at the first step just alone. All right. Just for a second. Let's look at this. The first step, it says, if your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault just between the two of you. See, I'm convinced that the reason this scripture doesn't work for us, a lot of us, isn't the scripture. It's we don't do it. I'm convinced that we don't even need to talk about step two and step three in this process because we don't do step one. We do it very poorly. If someone sins against you, go show them the fault just between the two of you. When you have an issue with somebody, how many people do you talk to along the way? That's wrong. It's wrong. Well, I just need to get some advice. All right. You need some advice? Great. Don't use any names. You need some help? You don't know how to talk to that person? Go to, you, go, you want to ask somebody ever? Go to them and say, hey, I have a situation. I have to talk to this a person. I'm not going to tell you who, but here's the situation. Can you give me some advice? That way you haven't violated the person's conscience. You haven't told anybody. And you can, you can confront the person first before anybody else. That's what Jesus said. It says right there, just between the two of you. So let's not talk about getting other people involved, step two, or bringing it before the church until you've done step one. And so you've gone just, I, I've, dude, I, I was on the phone with the brother. No, nobody here. This was, this was a while ago. I was on the phone with a brother telling him about my problems with another brother. And you know what he said to me? He said, have you talked to that guy yet? I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Wait, I don't, what, what? What do you mean? I need a graph. Can you chart this out? This is way too complicated. No, I didn't say it. I said, he said, have you talked to the other guy? And I said, uh, no. He goes, well, go talk to him. Oh, okay. Duh. That's what it says. But this is what we do. We build our alliances we go to other people, you know, we get, you know, it's like survivor church. We get our, you know, our backup people. Uh, no, come on, man. 
You got an issue with somebody and you will go to them first. Wouldn't you want that courtesy? If you're on the receiving end, wouldn't you like them to come to you first before they've gone to 10 other people? Wouldn't you like to give them a shot? At, at repenting or changing or growing wouldn't wouldn't you want to be that person wouldn't you would you want that courtesy of course you would that's what jesus says he says if your brother sins against you go show him his fault just between the two of you if he listens to you you have won is that what it says nope then why do we act like that not what it says if he listens to you and you have won your brother over you see a lot of times we go to people and talk to them about an issue but we want to win we want to win oh i'm going to show them we are going down and i'm going to dominate i'm going to win he's going to lose she's going she's going to lose that's how we go right the problem with that is if you do win, then you've really lost because you just crushed somebody. But Jesus says here, if your brother sins against you, if someone sins as you go just between the two of you, if they listen to you, you have won them over. So question, what kind of heart does Jesus expect that you're going to them with? The heart to win or heart to win them over? There's a huge difference Winning means I'm better, you're worse. I'm right, you're wrong. That's winning. Winning them over is like, listen, we're on the same team. I just want to point out something that I see. Can you can can we can we be together in this? Can we hug after it's over? Can we be united? Can it not be about who's better, who's worse, who's right, who's wrong? Can it be about what's right? And we both agree to that. And thus, you've won them over. It's a totally different heart. That's what the Bible teaches. You win them over. It's a whole different heart. I mean, that's what Jesus said. But again, we plow right through that. We're ready to bring in two or three other people. I tried it. I told them. So let's get uh, let's get my counsel together. Right. Come on, man. You're going to fail in step two because you didn't do step one right. This is how you build trust. It's really not complicated. It's hard. But it's not complicated. Go to your father. Go to your friend. You need to rebuild trust. You're struggling with trust. Go first to your father. And then go to the person. Go to your friend. I understand that everything I've told you today is hugely overwhelming. And maybe for some of you, like, this is totally unattainable. I don't think I can do this. My wife and I were flipping through the channels yesterday. We found a TV show where they, they said, Coming up, the six steps to buying your own island. And I thought, I want to watch this. (laughs) I'm just curious. What is the six steps? Because I know that's never going to happen. And how is there a TV show with a step-by-step? I mean, really, like, here's how you buy an island. Now, for me, there's seven steps. The first one being win the lottery. And then I can follow, you know, the other steps. But, I mean, I was like, I was watching it in my mind go, it was, I was very curious because I knew this is never going to happen to me. This is, I'm never going to be in, a, in, in an opportunity where I have to decide whether I want to buy an island or not, right? 
And some of you may feel this way about everything I've said today. But I'm here to tell you, this is obtainable. This is not outside of your grasp. God is that powerful. You can grow. You just got to want to. You just got to take it seriously. And like I said, spiritual relationships don't happen by accident. They take some conscious effort. So you're going to have to look at yourself, look into your heart, look into the scriptures, go to God, go to people, and and trust God that he can really do some things in your life. We all need friends. But what we really need are spiritual friends. There's no shortcuts to this. There's no shortcuts. A wise man once said, it takes 10 years to build a 10-year friendship. There's no shortcuts. That's just the way it goes. Trust is mandatory. But God can rebuild broken relationships. John 13 Verse 17, Jesus said, now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Thank you. Amen.